Luke and I share our top five tips for growing transplants. Welcome to the Arkansas Organic Chronicles podcast, where we discuss anything, everything, and all things related to certified organic food here in Arkansas. I'm Joe Hannon, production instructor at Calf Farm School. Luke joins us today to talk about transplant production, and we'll each give our top five tips for successfully growing transplants. So you'll notice the audio today is a little bit not as good as it is some days as we are out in the greenhouse recording. So as we get going here, you'll notice just a little bit of echo, and I apologize for that. Well, hey, Luke, welcome back to the show today to talk a little bit about transplant production. So how you doing? I'm doing good. Doing good. Thanks for having me. It's a yeah. beautiful day. Beautiful day. It's the 27th of February. We've got students in the classroom today, and it's probably going to be 85. Yeah. And, and then, then 27 tonight. <laughs> Insane. Yeah. Yeah, I have a note on my phone to make sure I bring in some of my outdoor plants. Yeah, so, crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um, but yeah, so it's transplant production time at Calf Farm here. We've got a bunch of stuff already growing out. We've got a bunch of stuff going into high tunnels. I thought it'd be kind of fun to just look at our top five tips for each of us for growing transplants, starting seeds, growing transplants, and getting them to the field. So let's just go number five. What is your number five tip for getting seeds started and transplants grown? My turn? Yeah, let's go with you first. Unless you uh, want me to go first. No, I'll, I'll go. I'll go. Um, yeah, it was kind of hard for me to sort these, but um, I had to pick an order. So my number five would be make sure you feed your transplants. Uh, I think in some cases, you know, it might be just a, a really quick um, in and out of the greenhouse situation. But I was thinking more for those longer term transplants like, you know, tomatoes, peppers, eggplant and such uh, you know even if you have a little bit of you know nutrients in your potting mix you're probably going to need to feed those transplants and you just want to make sure that they continue to grow those leaves stay vibrant green you don't have any you know potassium or phosphorus deficiencies show up before you get those plants in the ground so uh, that's one thing i would just you know make sure you you have in mind um, what you're going to do in that case maybe you know if you're organic have some fish hydrolysate um, on hand to dilute and then, uh, you know, feed those plants when they need it. Yeah. So you're looking at things that are anything that's really longer than three weeks in a greenhouse needs to be fed probably once, maybe twice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of my rule of thumb. What are you normally rocking for parts per million on nitrogen when you do that? <laughs> Bad question. <laughs> no, it, it's funny because I'm just so used to organic liquid fertilizers where it's like an ounce per gallon so mm -hmm. i'm just so used to doing like you know an ounce of liquid fish per gallon of water okay. and just watering that in with a watering can gotcha. running uh, through like a dostron into your system or i mean i'm i'm on a scale where i'm just watering can i mean okay. if you do a dostron i would i would look at that but just kind of scenarios where i've grown transplants just like you know using a watering can where needed to to apply the, the fertilizers work for me. So that's kind of okay. what I have in mind. Yep. Uh, I'm sure that translates to the same parts per million. It probably transplants to somewhere in that 50 to 100 parts per million yeah. nitrogen. Is, yeah, I feel like I've run the numbers and it kind of, it does, but yeah. an ounce per gallon is just so much easier for me. Yes, fair enough. All right, so my number five tip as we're going down from least important to most important-ish here is start with good seed. 
Um, a lot of times we are buying seed and we're storing seed, but the problem is that if you don't store seed properly, it ages. And that aged seed is going to be less vigorous. It's going to be less likely to germinate. It's going to be less uniform out in the field. So my thought is always to buy new seed, kind of just what you need on a year-by-year yeah. basis and buy from a good, reputable vendor. Yes. Have you ever done germination tests on older seed just to see if it's still viable? I have, especially when we're looking at things like peppers, which are pretty notorious for going downhill, and our seedless watermelon. That seems to age out pretty quickly. But I've also noticed with um, sweet corn, a lot of times when we're using year-old sweet corn, roll up our planting densities on the planter in order to account for germination and then with our mouse melon so when i was doing wholesale mouse melon if we had old seed we would definitely either just automatically plant 10 or 15 percent extra to assume we had lost that much or we would do some germ yeah test to kind of figure out is this even viable or does it just need to go in the trash yeah yeah but it's just so much easier to have the new seed on hand yeah, it is and i know like a lot of places will say like five years and um not handbook is really oh, right. yes, yeah. Yes, look yes. at their charts and like oh four or five years. Yeah, maybe as a home gardener that's cool, but not as a farmer. Yeah, if you got money on the line. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a good one. Uh, well, my next one is to uh, be sure to be timely about potting up your transplants. And again, I'm, I'm thinking of, about these more you know longer term plants like you know the solanaceous crops I mentioned that are going to be in the greenhouse for a while. Um, I just feel like I always get in the scenario where I get behind, you know, and I start my tomatoes in like a, you know, like a 250 and uh, plan to pot them up into like a 72 and I just wait too long and I get root bound and I'm having to untangle the roots uh, before potting them up. Um, I mean, a lot of it depends on like, you know, your situation, but mm -hmm. just being conscious of that, uh, just making sure there's plenty of room you know, in the cell for those roots to continue to expand. So you're not in a place where roots are getting root bound before you're potting them up to a bigger cell. Uh, just staying on top of that and potting up earlier rather than later is a good rule of thumb. Right. So if you don't pot them up, you start stunning that plant growth and that, that could have long-term effects when you go out into the field. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And the way I think about it, it's just Kind of removing those speed bumps in the way of plant growth. So like I mentioned, nutrients, I mean, that's one of them. You don't want them to get scented from that. And then the roots getting root bound is another one. You yeah. want that growth to just continue uninhibited. So that's that's my other tip. So you start at 100% production and every time you screw up, you lose a percentage <laughs> of production. Yeah. So if you don't give them food, if you don't pot them up, you don't water them properly, like exactly. you just keep losing, losing. Exactly. And goal is maintain 100% potential as long as possible. Exactly. Yeah. Especially in the greenhouse where you can control all the variables. There's no reason to go into the field that are not at 100% potential. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So my next one kind of moving from seed is going to heat benches. So making sure, especially with your warm season vegetables, making sure that you're during germination, you're at 75 to 90 degree soil temperature. doesn't need to be air temp, just that soil temp is kept and maintained from the time you germinate until the time that you're at that just past that first past that cotyledon stage and coming into that first true leaf. Um, so it could be in a heat chamber, it could be on a heat bench, could be covering the plants with like a remake fabric on a cold day, 
And definitely, definitely, definitely don't water with cold water if you are during germination and they get a little bit dry. Keep watering can on the bench and keep it warm so that you don't stunt the plant during germination. Do you have any favorite temperature probes for like uh, remote temperature sensors? Not for soil temp, no. Yeah. yeah. Um, for like just general greenhouse environments, I'll use like uh, there's temp sticks and things that are like a Wi-Fi connected device. Yeah, yeah. But no, for soil temp, honestly, I just use a cheap like meat thermometer. That's yeah, no, that's what I use. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I have on hand just to check it. Yeah, yeah. cool. I, a cheap meat thermometer, but a digital one, so it'll actually measure somewhere down there. Now I don't know how accurate they are uh, when they're that low versus being up at 300 degrees, yeah, yeah, but. Yeah. Yeah. It, it gets me in the ballpark. Okay. So, it's cheap. <laughs> yes, exactly. Cool. Just don't tell my wife. <laughs> you put it back in the drawer after cleaning. <laughs> Merrily stop listening. <laughs> That's funny. All right. So number three, Luke. What's your number three? Um, I said, you know, make sure your transplants get plenty of sunlight and air movement. Uh, I mean, for me, it's just about having like really sturdy plants and I'm just used to, you know, getting a lot of questions from home gardeners or just small scale farmers who are, you know, growing plants like by a window or maybe, you know, using some supplemental light. And light is just such, such a key component of growing healthy transplants. So that that's a big one, uh, just making sure they get at least eight hours of full light. And then along with that, some air movement so that you know, they're developing a little bit of, you know, resiliency. Those stems are tightening up, um, stiffening, stiffening up, I mean. And there's a little bit of stress just so you, you're growing, you know, stocky, tough transplants that will be ready for the field. It sounds like your number three is right on line with my number, <laughs> my number one. So, uh, okay, uh, <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah, it shows yeah. how important it is. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, my number three is the record keeping side of things. You're in your off season, so take the time to get your vendor information recorded. Make sure you're getting it notated if it's organic seed, any seed coatings, and the quantities that you're planting each week as you're growing out your seeds. Get those records done now while you can do it. And let's put a shout out or a plug in for some of our YouTube videos for organic record, seed record keeping. I'll yeah, yeah. That note. Yeah, definitely. Check out our, our YouTube channel for that for sure. Yes, Luke is our producer of those videos. He's awesome. All right, number, uh, where are we at? Number, number I guess this is number two. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, my number two is don't overwater. That's another thing. You can definitely run into problems, you know, during the germination phase. I feel like some people think, you know, you just need to water every day to keep that soil soggy. No, it just needs, you need enough moisture to germinate those seeds. Any more you can do with a lot of diseases. And when, you know, you're in your seedling phase, you can have dampening off some root rots if you don't get good, good drainage. I'm sure most of you listening know, you know, plant roots need both water and air. And if you're constantly flooding the media with water, your plant roots aren't getting the air they need. It inhibits the ability to uptake nutrients, all kinds of problems. So that's one thing where you can love your plants too much water too much. So definitely make sure to, to let that media dry off between watering. I think you might even have that. This is there. actually my number two <laughs> as okay, well. No, yeah. Okay, you could just... You yes, can. my number two is exactly this. Water deeply, water completely, 
and watering frequently. Yeah, yeah. So if you're overwatering, exactly what you said, Luke, you're getting dampening off. So if you're seeing dampening off or you're seeing fungus gnats or you're seeing shoreflies, you're overwatering. And it, it may be in conditions like, not today because it's 85 and sunny, but tomorrow when it's 40 degrees and cloudy, you may not need to water that yeah. day. So don't water. And this kind of goes back to your, your number three as well. How do you get that thick stem, that thick cuticle was putting those plants all under a little bit of moisture stress? Not so you see it, but yeah. just to that verge of, oh, I'm thirsty and I'm going to go, oh, I need some water. Yeah, That's yeah. when you water. And then make sure that you water, like pick up your trays and look at the bottom. If it's not wet, you didn't water enough. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you like to see a little bit of droopiness? Like when you're looking at the plant, what would be that telltale sign for you? That verge of droopiness is yes. what I'm going for. Yeah. If I see droopy, shoot, I should have done it a couple hours uh, ago. But on that verge where like you can just see that plant is starting to get a little like soft and, and tender. Yeah. And, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 They're not like falling over. They're not falling but they're over. Not totally but you, yeah, there's definitely a difference of like that 10 o'clock in the morning and that noon o'clock where uh -huh. they're just starting to look a little... A little soft. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah, yeah. Are you yeah. kind of on that same line? or? Yeah, 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 for sure. Okay. For sure, yeah. It's just see a little bit of stress. And that goes back to, I mean, what, what I was saying with sunlight and air movement. It's like, it, it's all like the right amount of stress and the right amount of time. And I know, Joe, I think you're going to talk about hardening off, which is related to this. Mm -hmm. But um, but even, I mean, what I like to do, this is related, is, you know, just like move my plants around. I walk in the greenhouse and I'm just kind of like, Heading my plants, uh -huh. you know, just touching the tops, moving them around, acting like wind, just just a little bit of that. I mean, it's it's kind of all related, like just kind of lack of water a little bit, uh, air movement, a little bit of that wind stress. Um, yeah, it just leads to, to healthier, stockier, stronger plants. Yeah, so watering your hand or uh, like a tomato stick or something to just slightly brush them. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, exactly. But that was not uh, your number one yet, right? That was not my number one. All right. So okay, what is the number one tip, Luke? <laughs> my number one tip uh, was to get some biology into your potting mix, um, especially since, you know, this is an organic podcast. So, I mean, really when it comes to organic nutrient management, it's really the biology in the soil or in the greenhouse. It's in your potting mix. That biology is the flywheel that's, that's cycling those nutrients, making those organic nutrients plant available. And so it's really important to have some kind of biological component in your mix. You can do that in the form of vermicompost, compost. Um, also, like biological inoculants like mycorrhizal fungi um, are, you know, really beneficial. Uh, but I would say at minimum, like either purchase a blend that has either compost or vermicompost, or, you know, if your blend doesn't have that, get a little bit added. It can be, you know, 5 to 10% by volume. And vermicompost is shown to even benefit seed germination um, and also, you know, overall plant health, root health. But then, you know, especially if you're using something like fish hydrolysate, you know, as a fertilizer, honestly, you know, that material has to be processed a little bit by the biology before the plant can take it up. You've got that biology in the, in the soil already, in the media already. That's just going to, you know, speed up the process of those plants getting the nutrients they need. Speaking of the, the mycorrhizal, you can get the, a lot of soil media mixes with mycorrhizae added. Are you yes. a fan of those or much experience with them? I, 
I don't know if I necessarily can say either way. I'm sure purchasing a high quality mycorrhizal fungi and adding that yourself would lead to better results, but mm -hmm. uh, a little bit's better than nothing. But I mean, especially when it comes to tomatoes and peppers, I've seen a lot of research that shows the benefits of mycorrhizal fungi, especially when it comes to like water uptake and then nutrient uptake, especially during times of stress. Um, that mycorrhizal fungi is really effective and, and you know, scavenging for, for moisture and nutrients, delivering it to the plant roots, even if, you know, you're kind of low on soil moisture in the field. Do you want to talk about that plant microorganism relationship and why and how that is so important? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a little off topic here. Yeah, but you no, well, we can nerd out on it. It's super fascinating. So, yeah, so mycorrhizal fungi, it's a class of, you know, fungi, think mushrooms, but in this case, it's it's not really a mushroom. Um, it's, it's more like a, you know, like a network, um, you know, mycorrhizae, which are like, you know, fungal roots, which, um, that, that organism, what it'll do, it'll infect the plant root and actually grow into the plant root and more or less kind of create these branches that essentially just like multiply the root mass in the soil. I mean, it's not. It's a different organism, but it has a symbiotic relationship with the plant. So it's, it's essentially being fed sugars from the plant. You know, the plant's creating sugars through photosynthesis. It's pumping those down into the roots. The mycorrhizae is getting that sugar, and in exchange, it's bringing, it's delivering uh, moisture, nutrients. If I'm remembering correctly, phosphorus is a big one that it delivers. I think so. I haven't brushed up on this recently, but um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's an exchange. It's a symbiotic relationship. They each get something out of it. Um, the total root mass, when you look at the, the actual plant roots and plant root hairs, plus the fungi that are symbiotic relationship, it about doubles the actual like root volume or more, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, it can. But I mean, there's are very thin, like, you know, hair-like root structures i mean the mycorrhizae itself um like little filaments but they'll just branch out yeah. uh anyway it's it's super cool you can totally nerd out on you know soil microbiology if you have that inclination yes <laughs> i wish i was not so rusty on that <laughs> yeah so all right so remind me what was your number one uh, number one yeah getting biology into the getting biology in the soil perfect all right, so my number one kind of goes back to a couple that you have picked off on is hardening off your plants or growing out your plants. Like hardening off is just, it's not just a stage you do at the end, it's the entire process of growing out the plant. So that hardening off and making that plant is going to be healthy and adaptable to the outdoor environment. I mean, that really starts as soon as you get those plants off the germination tray or out of the germination chamber and it's putting them under a little bit of water stress. It's getting airflow over them, either fans or opening up vents or running your hands through them. And it's getting those plants access to as much full sunlight as you can and progressively introducing them to more and more outdoor conditions. This is one of those reasons why I'm such a huge fan of a greenhouse that I can have a wagon in the middle of like a portable bench so that I can pull those plants outdoors on a day where it's 80 degrees outside and give them exposure to full sun and some windy conditions and humidity and then i can push it that wagon back in at 
at night. So I, you know, I'll, I'll go from heat bench to like a grow out bench for a week onto the wagon. And then that'll be the finishing off process for, for that period. But, you know, again, that really helps them get short, stocky, thick stems, thick cuticles, and allows you to take those plants outside and they're off to the races and growing a couple days later, rather than like a week later after that transplant period. That's, that's kind of my, my last tip. Yeah, and I might have missed this, but how long do you say that it normally takes you to, to harden off your plants? Well, normally you say like seven days. Yeah. Um, but for me, like it's just a process. Like I'm uh, on the bench for a week or I'm on the heat bench for a week. I'm on like my protected bench for a week until I'm like in that second, that third true leaf coming up. And then they're on the wagon and they're going in and out. So it could be something like peppers might have three weeks of hardening off. But I'm quite yeah, hard enough yeah, because yeah, they're on yeah. that wagon. And yeah, just as soon as they're ready, you'll kind of start the process. As soon as I can get them, yeah, start exposing yeah. to them. Yeah. And I've been burned, literally burned, by not having plants on a wagon like that where they're getting full sunlight and coming out of a protected greenhouse environment. And ugh, Man, greenhouses with old plastic, you got to get them outside because they're, they're going to burn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I know my, my hard thing with hardening off is like those early stages where you can only have the plants out for like an hour or something. Mm -hmm. It's just, just something I have to set a reminder, Yeah, you know, find a day that's appropriate, not too windy. And then I just have to set a reminder. Okay. Get them in an hour. Cause if I leave them out for too long, they'll just knock them over. Yeah. And if you're coming out of a really protected greenhouse or like an indoor environment under grow lights, you got to kind of ease them. Yes. Ease them out. Uh Um, I see a lot of folks that do like straw bales and they'll do like a straw bale environment to kind of keep the little oh, bit of the wind off. Oh yeah. And yeah. then they can just yeah. cover them with yeah. remay overnight and they don't have to necessarily take them in. Uh-huh. So almost night. like a cold frame. Kind of like a cold frame. But with the yeah, straw bales. That's really smart. Yeah. But again, that's hand labor though. If I got to pick that up and then oh, go take God. it inside. I had a couple of like <laughs> large farmers that that's what they did and they'd hand carry the trays in and out and it just... Yeah, that's so smart having a wagon. Yeah, that's I'm a huge, huge fan of that. Because then the plants are already on the wagon when you go to plant. Exactly. Like here at Calf, it's a half mile to go out the field or whatever it oh, is. Oh, I know. Yeah, and see, I mean, in our place, we've just got a little greenhouse, and I'm just hand-carrying my trays in and out, and that's just, it's so annoying <laughs> to just have to pick up every one, you know, twice a day, taking it up. Yep. Day. But you're right. It's incredibly important. Yeah. Like, you cannot miss that step. Off. You can't. You, the plants are just not going to... Well, you're either going to toast them, you're going to sunburn them, or you're going to... They're not going to be tolerant of the dry, windy conditions, and they're just going to droop over and peel out on you. Exactly. You go from 100... Not, well, you know, 100% potential to, like, 50% potential just because you mess up that, yeah. that stage. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. yeah, and also, I mean, for people who are buying plants, that's an important consideration. Mm-hmm. Like, depending on who you're buying them from, they may or may not harden off the plants. So definitely ask if you're buying transplants. Ask if they're hardened off. Or assume no. Or assume no and just harden them off yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Just assume no and don't put all your plants out in full sun like me and (laughs) toast them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of times they're coming, especially if you're buying transplants, they're, they're coming straight out of the greenhouse and... People are not replacing greenhouse covers as long as fast as they should be. And, you know, you have an old greenhouse cover. If it's a poly greenhouse, you might be at 50, 60% if that is older plastic of like sunlight trans 
Uh-huh. So they're just not used to full sun. They're just not used to it. And yeah. even if you're going into another high tunnel where you're still getting 80 to 90 percent, you can still burn them up pretty good. Mm-hmm. So, and that's that, you know, that's just sunlight. That's not even talking. Yeah, wind. Wind or moisture ability. Well, good. Cool. Well, I think that's our top five tips for each of us for getting transplants up and going. Hopefully, the sound quality wasn't too bad. We're in the greenhouse today recording. You know, perfect, perfect place. <laughs> <laughs> yes, appropriate. Uh, yeah. So, Luke, thanks for coming on the show here today. We'll get All you right, back welcome. on to talk something else as we go into spring. So. Sounds good. Thanks awesome. for having me. Thanks, Luke. This podcast was supported in part by the USDA Ag Marketing Service Transition to Organic Partnership Program and the University of Arkansas Division of Agriculture. Until next week, everybody, have a great day.